you, Steve. The question tonight is, how can we build a gospel culture in our churches, in our homes, in our ministries, wherever we have influence? How can we build a gospel culture? Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. And as you turn, I'm grateful to our friends at the bookstore here at the conference. They've provided copies of my book, The Gospel, which is my attempt at answering that how question at greater length. How do we actually go about this? What is the gospel and how do we take new steps in the direction of the freedom and safety of walking in the light together in the context of a gospel culture. So thank you for your interest in that. By the way, if I'd love to give this away. I don't want to put this in my suitcase and take this home. If somebody wants a free copy, come ask me afterwards. It's yours. First John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. This is God's word. So the Apostle John in verses 1 through 4, is describing the one and only truly original event in all the length of human history. In his love for the undeserving, the eternal God entered time. The invisible God became touchable. The happy God made sad people happy about their lives again by becoming happy about him and who he is. It happened 2,000 years ago in Christ, the impact continues in the world today. Nothing will ever stop it. That is what John is talking about in verses 1 through 4. 
Now, as he writes this toward the end of the first century as an aged apostle, however, he's, he's thrilled about what he has just described in verses 1 through 4, but he's also worried as he writes this. Something's going wrong. Even while an original apostle is still alive, still ministering, an eyewitness of Jesus, continuing the writing of the New Testament, a heresy is already beginning to pollute the fresh, life-giving spiritual environment Jesus created. What is heresy? Heresy is more than bad thinking. Heresy is thinking so bad, it endangers our souls. You know, you, if you're a Presbyterian, you, may, you might not have perfect theology, but you can know God with your Presbyterian theology. If you're a Baptist or an Anglican or a Lutheran and so forth, uh, your theology might not be perfect, but you can know God with your theology, Baptist, Anglican, Lutheran, and so forth. But the bad thinking John is exposing here in verses 5 through 10 and the practical path that it leads people into, this heresy will rob us of God. If we believe this and practice this, we cannot have God anymore. Even if we're sincere, heresy is bigger than sincerity. Biblical faith is a wide ocean with lots of room for personal judgment calls in our theology. and We're all working our salvation out with fear and trembling, thankful for that God is at work within us. But there are boundaries. There are limits. There are shores. We cannot always say, you uh, say tomato and I say tomato. And the Apostle John is confronting heresy here in verses 5 through 10. What is the bad thinking, the seriously bad thinking John is calling out? Piecing it together from verses 5 to 10, it's not that hard to figure out what it is. It's the idea that we can become Christians without changing. We can say we're Christians and stay the same as we ever were, and that is no big deal, sin is no big deal, and nobody should have a problem with that. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this heresy that John is worried about is practical in nature, not theoretical. It is about how we walk, how we live. It's a practical denial of who God is, not a blatant theological denial of Christ. And it doesn't get any more basic than who God is. Nothing could be more foundational than that. How does John respond? Verse 5, this is the message we've heard from Christ. We eyewitnesses, we apostles, we original spokesmen and representatives for Christ, this is the message we heard directly, personally from Jesus and proclaim to you, pass it on to the next generation, namely that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That is a Fascinating summary of the ministry and message of Jesus. (laughs) Take the four Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, everything. The Upper Room Discourse. Put it down into one sentence in John's mind. And it came down to this. 
God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. What did Jesus mean by that? God is light means many things because light is many things. Light is beautiful and pure and true and life-giving and clear and welcome and cheerful and necessary. There's no such thing as dirty light. There's no such thing as ugly light. There's no such thing as prejudiced light. There's no such thing as dishonest light. Light can only be what it is, and what it is is desirable in every way. And best of all, light spreads. And darkness is helpless in the face and presence of light. Darkness is powerless. It cannot stop the light. When a light shines in a dark room with its effortless illumination, the darkness hightails it. And Jesus came to tell us that's what God is like. God is light in all these ways and many more. The whole Bible tells us that. Page one of the Bible. God said, let there be light. There was light. And later in the Bible, the Bible says at a personal level, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Bible prophesies at a worldwide level that our Messiah will be a light to the nations. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The Bible also says of us in John's gospel, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. We all understand that. I have memories of things I've done. You have memories of things that you've done. We know we're wrong, and we keep them hidden away in the shadows, not even in privacy, but in denial. And that very human, very understandable impulse to hide, that fear of exposure, the fear of being known, really known. We're so like Adam and Eve, hiding among the trees, of the garden. That feeling inside us all, that feeling in me, and that feeling, that fear, that desire to pull back into the shadows, that is the seedbed of heresy. Hiding with nothing ever to confess is not victorious Christian living, it's the beginning of heresy. And that's why 1 John chapter 1 is so relevant and helpful and amazing today. God hasn't changed. We haven't changed. We want the light, but we fear the light. We fear that God won't help us. We fear maybe God can't help us. We think, I'm into this too deep. Not even God can help me. And that's why in our time... I think the Apostle John, if he were to come into our world today, at least in the United States of America, I think he would talk about this with us. Ron Sider has written a book a few years ago entitled The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience as a result of significant research. And he reported some findings about us Christians in the USA. For example, in the area of our sexuality, since 1993, 
over 2 million young people have signed the True Love Waits pledge not to have sex before marriage. That was 1993, since 1993. In 2004, researchers at Columbia and Yale reported a seven-year study of 12,000 teenagers who took that pledge. The study found that 88% of them had broken it. Another study at the University of Akron finds that 26% of what they call traditional Christians do not think premarital sex is wrong. 13% say adultery is okay. If I were 13% open to committing adultery, would you say to me, no problem, Ray, I've got no objection to that. If so, you don't love me. And you and I together are not walking in the light. In the area of race, again from Sider's book, Gallup reported in 1989, this is embarrassing. Gallup reported in 1989 that the group most likely to object to a person of another race moving into the neighborhood was people who call themselves Christians. Actually, that's more than embarrassing. That's heresy. Our ministry today is not to preserve biblical Christianity. Our ministry today is to recover biblical Christianity. What Jesus stood for, the whole message of his life, that God is light, that light dispels our darkness. Therefore, calling sin what it is, when the Bible says something, it doesn't matter what I think, but when the Bible calls something sin, it, then my calling, it, my calling sin sin is not legalistic. If God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, calling sin sin is not legalism. It's how we walk out of our darkness into His light. And we want to recover a sense as Christian friends together in the Lord. We, we're not judging unbelievers. That is not why the Lord called us together. We're not even judging one another. That is not why the Lord called us together. We're bringing ourselves, every single one of us personally, individually, we're bringing ourselves under the judgment of God's Word. And we're admitting every sin I, I commit is a stab in my Savior's back. If we say we have fellowship with the light while we walk in darkness, we today lie and do not practice the truth, but practice an ancient heresy. That's why it's in the Bible. So God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. In other words, there is... This is what the devil does not want us to believe. It is very much in his interest that we do not believe this. That God is light, so pure, there is nothing about God we need to worry about. There is not one particle in God we need to filter out. There is nothing about God we need to be guarded against. 
But instead, if God is light and in Him is no darkness, we can hurl ourselves at Him with abandon. And that is called Christianity. Any other way of thinking about God, any other perception of God, is not a denominational preference. It just robs us of God. Reality with God. Now, most of what I've said in my sermon so far is warning. That's a good thing. It's part of the biblical message. But there's also an invitation here. God is opening a door in verses 5 through 10. And that's here too. A wonderful invitation to come walk in the light as God is in the light. He's, I love this metaphor of walking. He's inviting us into a new adventure. He's inviting us to go somewhere with him, one step at a time. This is God himself opening a door to us to go further with him than we've ever gone before. This is God himself tonight opening a door to us to go further with him than we've ever dreamed of going. Walking in the light is where we find fellowship. It's where we find cleansing by the powerful blood of Jesus It's walking in the light is where we go and we actually get beyond embarrassment and we finally penetrate into liberation. We get traction for positive change even right in those very places in our lives where right now we just feel that we're impossible. The sins that have held us back for years, maybe all our lives, will weaken in the light And more than anything else, walking the light is just plain thrilling. It is so freeing. Remember in the book of Acts, what happened when the gospel came to that city in Samaria. It says there was much joy in that city. It is so happy to get clean. To get rid of things that have been haunting us and damning us in our consciences for years. It is so happy not to be faking it and hiding behind a carefully managed appearance and instead to come out into the light and to be known. You know, every one of us pastors faces a decision. Am I going to be impressive or am I going to be known? Our people do not need us to be impressive. We don't need to be impressive. It's just a prison. To be known is so freeing. It's apostolic Christianity. What a wonderful thing. This is what Jesus brought to us. Walking in the light. Hey, there's no heresy there. There's nothing to fear there. We can jump in and it's compelling. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his wonderful book, Spiritual Depression, wrote this, there can be little doubt but that the exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. We have tasted joy here tonight. Who wouldn't want to be part of this? Reggae music in church. I love that. We've got to bring that to Nashville. I want it. And you know, when we were enjoying the Lord together, 
We weren't trying to talk ourselves into it, were we? Did that even occur to you? Oh, I have to force myself here. <laughs> we didn't have to muster it up. You know, real joy is just turning our eyes to Christ, our Savior, and His goodness and grace and glory, and, and, and just daring to be honest with Him about what's really going on because He can handle it. He already knows everything about it. And then being honest with one another. Talking about what's really going on in our lives. And that's just walking in the light. And then coming out into the light and staying there. While we trust the Lord to do for us what only He can do. Cleanse it. So I want to walk in the light. And one of the, one of the things, the practical things I do to build a gospel culture that I can live in is just personally is uh, I have breakfast regularly with a friend. I very much trust him. I respect him. He is a gospel man. And uh, we sit there together at breakfast and I confess my sins. I say to him, Howard, here's what's not working in my life. And you know what's funny? Well, it's not funny. It's, it's telling. I often have to come back and admit the same things over and over again. Do you find that in yourself? Why am I not past this by now? I don't understand. But here's something that's very precious to me. The Bible is so clear. Three wonderful words. God is patient. The Bible says that explicitly. God is patient with you. And God is patient. Where would we be without the patience of God? I thought by now I'd be so much further down the road, and I'm not. God's tolerance levels must be sky high. So we're sitting at breakfast, and I'm telling him what's not working in my life. And, and when I start to feel embarrassed, then I know I'm actually making progress. If I don't feel embarrassed, I'm not really being honest yet. So I have to push myself to the place of embarrassment, and then I know I'm getting traction, and my dear friend um, doesn't scold me. He doesn't embarrass me. He doesn't pressure me. He doesn't even fix me. I remember I told him about something, and he said, so Ray... Where is God in that? I was frustrated about something and upset. And he didn't rebuke me. He just said, he asked the perfect question. So Ray, where's God in that, in that situation? <laughs> I just had to laugh. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Duh. But I needed my friend because when, when my faith is weak, his faith is strong. And then sometimes we turn it around. And my faith is strong and his faith is weak. 
So he graciously helps me press the gospel into those very places in my soul where I most need it. But, and I want my church to have the assurance that their pastor is walking in the light with somebody. And that's how we build a culture of grace. Verse 7, walking in the light. An honest relationship with Jesus and one another so that we're free to grow. Wouldn't it be great if your church, wherever you are from, wouldn't it be great if your church was not just the most honest church in town, but the most honest anything in town? Where anyone could come, could come in among gentle, unshockable people and talk about their problems and be prayed for and accepted and understood and helped along their way. Walking in the light. In, in a surprisingly vulnerable and honest social environment, we find such reality with Jesus and one another that we're free to grow without limit. So what I'd like to do now, that all of that is introduction, and just briefly, I would like to look at the four phrases of verse 7, this wonderful, wonderful verse. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, I'm so grateful for the word walk. We don't have to sprint. We don't even have to trot. We can just walk. One step at a time, but we do have to get in motion. We need to go somewhere. We can't sit around. We can't be passive. So wherever you are in your walk with God right now, get up and start walking in the light with others that you know and love right around you. What does that mean? Obviously, it doesn't mean living a sinless life because it's in walking in the light that we get cleansing from sin. Sinners walk in the light. Walking in the light is an honest relationship with Jesus and one another so that we're free to grow. We come out into the light of God's word and we stop posing and hiding and concealing and denying and we look at the reality of who we are and admit it. Something that's become important to me is this. I, I, I don't know that I ever would have disagreed with this. I just didn't know how important it was for many years. I don't want to appear to be better than I really am. That's a huge temptation for a pastor. I mean, I really do want to appear to be better than I really am. I mean, I want to be amazing. Oh, I want you to think I'm wonderful. But that is all false and fraudulent. And there's no cleansing in it. And there's no fellowship in it. It's a self-invented prison. It isn't real. There's nothing divine in it. Jesus did not come down from heaven so that I could put myself on display and cultivate a false appearance. Walking in the light is an honest relationship with Jesus and one another so that we're free to grow. That honesty builds a culture of grace, a gospel culture. 
in a church, in a home, in a ministry, in a fellowship, in a Sunday school class, in a small group Bible study, in a home group, and so forth. When God, the Holy Spirit, convicts our hearts of sin, walking in the light means at that very moment we don't suppress it, but we trust the Lord and we say, oh, Lord, thank you. By the way, here's the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the accusation of the devil. The Holy Spirit always identifies a particular, specific, objectifiable wrong, an actual moment of sin that, that's identifiable in my journey. The, the, the devil just comes and tells me I'm pond scum. He just evacuates the meaning and significance of my existence in a completely demoralizing accusation that I'm just nothing. That is never of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Ray, what you just said, that was wrong. Isn't that helpful? The Lord is honest. The Lord is in the light. And it's so painful to see, but so freeing. And I want to say, Lord, okay, the darkness is in me, it's not in you. And I don't want to be defensive with you. So just forgive me and please and cleanse me. And he does. And I move on rejoicing, forgiven. Sometimes we lie to God. We say, but Lord, this is my personality. Or we say, but Lord, look, look what my wife did. Or we say, but Lord, you can't be actually to expect me to actually obey the Bible. But that's walking in darkness. Paul Turnier, I quoted him last night, the Swiss psychiatrist wrote this. This is very insightful. A vague and pervasive guilt feeling kills the personality. But the conviction of sin gives life to the personality. It is so freeing to call sin, sin, as God the Holy Spirit shows it to us according to Scripture because Jesus covers sin. It's what He came to do. So we no longer need to look better than we really are. By his cross, Jesus opened the way for us to come out and admit what's really going on deep inside us so that we can rethink why we do what we do. Why am I like this? There's always a reason. We can have time in our churches under the patience of God to rethink our lives at a deep level and we're finally free to grow. We don't have to put up with this anymore. But if we walk in the light, then it says, secondly, as he is in the light. That's fascinating because it's about the Lord. It's not about rules. I don't like rules, man-made rules. I am allergic to man-made rules. I break out in a rash at man-made rules. I just get angry at man-made rules. I don't like religious oppression. I don't like coercion. I don't like being cornered. I want to be free. So this is not about rules. This is about who God is. This is about where God is. Verse 5 says God is light. Verse 7 says God is in the light. That's so helpful. Because it means God is not hiding from us. He's not being tricky. He's not playing catch me if you can. God is not hard to find. He is standing right out in the obvious place of honesty where we can go to Him and find Him and be helped. And his arms are open to us there. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
Two things happen. Here's the third part of the verse. We have fellowship with one another. It is so wonderful. You know what it's like. We talked about this in one of our breakout sessions. You know what it's like in a small group when you're proceeding along in a Bible study, whatever it might be, and somebody in the room opens up. Somebody in the room gets real and talks about what's really going on in their lives, and everybody around the room immediately relaxes because the ground rules just changed in that room. From that moment on, everybody has permission to be honest, and that's when fellowship enters in. We, that's not playing church anymore. That's what the Bible calls fellowship, sharing. We realize how much we have in common, both as sinners and as justified people in Christ. This is uniquely Christian. The world is not like this. The world is harsh and critical. Last night, I tried to recall uh, out of my memory that other wonderful quote from um, Paul Tournier, the Swiss psychiatrist. Well, here I've got it. In everyday life, we are continually soaked in an unhealthy atmosphere of mutual criticism, so much so that we're not always aware of it. We find ourselves drawn unwittingly into an implacable, vicious circle. Every reproach coming at us evokes a feeling of guilt in the critic as much as in the one criticized, and each person gains relief from his anxiety in any way he can by criticizing other people and in self-justification. That's the social atmosphere we swim in every day. And Jesus breaks that cycle by his cross because at the cross he took our real guilt upon himself as our substitute. And in this place of shared forgiveness at the foot of the cross, we find out all we have in common, both in our sins and in his grace. And that's when the sympathy flows back and forth. We realize we're on the same side. I love the way John Wesley put it during the First Great Awakening. Peter Bowler was a Moravian um, uh, man who had experienced awakening in Germany. And he was influential in the life of Wesley in England. And they, they began the ministry of small groups very wisely. And they wrote down some ground rules for their small groups. And um, in 1738, orders of a religious society meeting in Fetters Lane... In obedience to the command of God by St. James, James 5.13, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And they've got 10 rules here for how they're going to manage their small groups. I'm not big on man-made rules, as I think you've surmised, but I love number 10. I do. That everyone, every person in the circle, in order, speak as freely plainly and concisely as he can, the real state of his heart with his several temptations and deliverances since the last time of meeting. That is wise. So here's a group of these Methodists during the First Great Awakening somewhere in London on Fetters Lane, wherever that is, meeting in a room together from 7 to 9 o'clock some Tuesday night. And there's a, they, there's a guy, they call him the, um, what do they call him? Oh, 
that some person in each band be desired to interrogate the rest in order. <laughs> I think the word interrogate meant something softer in 1738. We'd call him a facilitator. So Mr. Facilitator turns to one of these people in the circle and, and says, so how's your heart? And that person in the freedom and safety of that gospel culture says, well, here's my heart. Here's the real state of my heart, guys. I've had these struggles, these temptations, and these sins in, since we met together two weeks ago. And here's how the Lord is delivering me. Here's how he's caring for me. Here's how he's washing my feet. Here's how he's delivering me with his several temptations and deliverances since the last time of, me time of meeting. So this is not just a sort of group therapy. This is divine. This is not self-indulgent temptations and deliverances. Here's how the Lord is messing with me. Here's how the Lord is confronting me. Here's how the Lord is helping me and comforting me in my need. The real state of our that's walking in the light. Who wouldn't want to be part of that? Who doesn't need that? Elder teams, wouldn't it be great to set time aside every time you met, early in the meeting, for scripture, and then just walking in the light together? How are you, really? What's the real state of your heart? How are you doing as you come into this meeting? In our families, in our homes, our teenagers need this. They need this from you. They need this from their dad and mom. They need, our teenagers, our kids, they need to hear their parents talk about their problems. And where they experience defeat and how they experience encouragement and deliverance from the Lord. So wonderful. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, the walls fall down and we have fellowship. <laughs> with one another. And, second outcome, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, uh, this is why uh, a healthy gospel culture is more than a human support group. This is of God. This is sacred. The blood of Jesus is there. And we bring into the light no sin that His blood cannot cleanse away. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That sin that troubles you, that sin in your life that makes you so sad, that sin you've never been able to get on top of, that sin that is so scary to you, that is so threatening to you, you don't even want to think about it. I want to tell you something. It is at that very point in your existence that your Savior loves you the most. That is where He loves you most tenderly and with the most understanding and the greatest readiness to receive your confession and make you clean. You don't have to bear that one moment longer. 
And I find it is often so helpful to me to confess it not only to the Lord, but I need to confess it to a Christian friend as well and just get it out. And put it right out there in the light. And give it to the Lord and give it to my brother and be prayed for. That's how we build a gospel culture. You know, we don't have to conquer our sins by heroic willpower. We just confess them to death. (laughs) And we just confess them and confess them and we keep on confessing the same sins until they just die of exhaustion. Confession is the kryptonite of our super sins. Not masterful willpower. Confession. Now, guys, this is Christianity. This is not a denominational option or variation. This is apostolic, original Christianity as Jesus gave it and brought it into this world. This has power. This has beauty. This is what God has given us. Oh, let's cherish it. Let's steward it. Let's enjoy it. Let's spread it. Let's build a gospel culture within every circle of influence we have where people can talk about what's really going on, the real state of their hearts. And then we'll just see what the Lord will do (laughs) for a bunch of sinners. All right, let's pray.